Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business, so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. Okay, Mr. Davis, let's kick off a little tech gumbo today. Get started with some news and updates. Absolutely. I wanted to start off with an interesting article that we read People are regretting the degrees that they got in college. According to a recent study that we saw from the Department of Data, in 2021, engineers, only about one in four regretted their degree, but people who took humanities, of closer to half of them regretted their degree. I can sit here and, and say I'm one of those who regret. I did not get an engineering degree. At the time, nobody had ever said, hey, Haggai, you do a good job at being an engineer. Go get that degree. I just kind of got a college degree and went along. And, and I've had a great career. I'm not upset about that. But it also would have been a whole lot more interesting if I would have had that engineering degree. Yeah. You know, this is uh, something that we're seeing. There's a big push towards engineering degrees. We see over the past decade, the number of people who have jumped into STEM majors has increased and the number of people who have jumped into the humanities has decreased. And so we're seeing this message starting to, to really trickle out and actually have real world impacts on it. And there was a big push, certainly in 2011, when former President Obama and the State of the Union address said that we need to get more into the STEM. We need to start competing with the rest of the world because the rest of the world does the science, technology, and engineering and mathematic degrees and a whole lot less of arts and humanities. I think also part of it is the the pressure for earnings, that it's very well known that the STEM degrees will pay a higher amount. And because wages have not grown relative to inflation in a long time, the amount of free income that my generation has compared to previous generations is less. And so you can't support yourself on a humanities degree today the way you could 30 years ago. And so you kind of have to. You're, you're pigeonholed into a STEM degree, and we see that playing out. Absolutely. Unless your chosen career is to be a, a professor of Russian literature at a college, 
that degree in Russian literature is not going to get you a whole lot in the way of a job. It really requires doing other things with it, at which point you could have added additional skills to your skill set there. And so, you know, you go out there and you get $200,000 in student loans, and now you have a job where you have a degree in Russian literature, but now you're a bookkeeper because you got to pay your bills. You know, I, I get that. And so what do you have to do? And this, and this is not to say we don't need the arts and humanities, because we certainly do. We need to have more than just STEM. But if you're going into those those fields, you have to really go into it knowing what you're getting into. Absolutely. I, I think that's if you know what you want and you have a path in front of you, I think that's a great way to go. Uh, and I think just in general, you should be reflecting, thinking about what it is that you want, what it what it looks like for you to be successful. Because I think just having a plan, even if you don't ultimately follow that path, having something, some structure is usually better than having none at all. It comes down to the arts and humanities have to be more of a passion for you than a I'm going to have a career in, in feed my family with with that degree in art literature. It's just it's not the way it works anymore. It you, like you said back in the 40s, 50s and 60s. Yeah, you could certainly do that. Nowadays, that's not what this not what the current market is looking for. Speaking of looking for something, NASA is going out with their DART looking for a target. So the DART stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. Although they're being a little cheeky here, of the two objects, one of them is the asteroid, the other one is a moonlit because it's an object which orbits the asteroid. So they're they're playing around here with play a little fast and loose to get the naming to work out, but it's still pretty fun. Yeah, this thing at the end of September is supposed to strike the dimorphous moonlet that is circling around Didymus and see if they can't redirect it. And what kind of impact will it have when they hit it? And let's just hope they don't hit it back into the Earth's path. Right, that's that's exactly ultimately what they're trying to do here, is that they want to test asteroid redirection systems such that if in the future we see the asteroid coming, we don't end up like the that movie, you know, dozens of them at this point, but that we're able to, okay, you know, we know what this looks like, we have a system for this, all right, set it up, six months, press the button, go, and you knock it out of the path towards us and we go about our day and that's yep. that's the goal here is to get it down to a science nasa is getting a little cute with some of their acronyms the didymus reconnaissance and asteroid camera for optical navigation or draco is what they're using to to hone in on this and it's some 20 million miles away right now and as it's getting closer they plan on making contact about 14 million miles away from earth way way on out there to where it's not gonna not gonna bother us but still i think it's fun that nasa is is playing playing darts with moving objects in space yeah i think that's exactly what they're doing they're trying to hit one moving object with another moving object which is incredibly tough to do but you know if we're gonna make sure that we don't end up like the dinosaurs then this is pretty important and this isn't just like hitting a bullet 
This is hitting a 38,000 mile an hour bullet. With another bullet. With another bullet. So that'll be real interesting. Look for September 26th, somewhere around 7 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. NASA TVs, they're going to have coverage of it, supposedly. Uh, we'll see. Now, the, what's not very cool is AT&T not quite living up to their 5G promises. In classic AT&T fashion, they overpromised and are now under-delivering. So they, very recently, last month, were talking about how the older 5G devices, like the iPhone 12, 13, the Galaxy S21, the Pixel 6, would be able to take advantage of the new 5G spectrum following an update. And then they even directly confirmed this whenever they were asked about it. But times have changed, things have blown the other direction, and so now AT&T has told CNET they were wrong both times. Yeah, times have changed. It became September and instead of August. And, oh, by the way, the, the light of truth, shall we say, might have been shown a little too much on the old AT&T what spectrum they're going to be using. Because what what's happening is AT&T was a little slow on the rollout and they didn't have as much different portions of the bandwidth spectrums to play with. T-Mobile is way out ahead of, and Verizon is way out as well ahead of AT&T. And so what AT&T is going to be doing is relying on their 4G bandwidths and sprinkling in some 5G in the middle of hoping you'll be okay with that. Right. And this one was interesting to me because I am, you know, switched to Verizon back in January and have a Pixel and have been able to use 5G, true 5G here in New York City for the nine months that I've had this phone. And so the fact that AT&T still is saying that, you know, you can't use the Pixel and hit the 5G and you just won't be able to. That was pretty surprising to me because I just assumed that of course you would. I can do it on Verizon and have been able to for a while now. And you're telling me that you just won't ever have that technology. That's surprising to me. Well, as as the article we found does point out that this is the carrier that rebranded 4G as 5GE. Definitely a little bit of um, sleight of hand here. You have a, a new shiny word, new shiny phrase, and people feel a little bit better, and you never did anything at all. AT&T is better at marketing than engineering, apparently. It's working out well so far. Next story we wanted to talk about was an art competition in Colorado that had a uniquely different winner. So this was a digital art category, and a lot of people are upset because the artist who won used artificial intelligence to generate the base for their submission. That's right. A lot of people took a picture and then started editing with Photoshop or some other editing software, and they were making their pictures digitally, whereas this guy created by putting in some code, some words that he wanted the artificial intelligence to build from, and then it was another 900 iterations later, oh, by the way, and 80-some-odd hours of working with this art. The same 80-something hours that 
the other people using Photoshop were doing, but he was letting the artificial intelligence do the work. And he would put in some code, put in some, help it, tweak it a little bit and let it go. So this, if you've seen Dolly 2, that's the software that Google's released. This is very similar to that, wherever you give it some words ahead of time, and then it has learned what those words look like and can combine them in different interesting ways. And he sat there for 900 different iterations of different words and combinations trying to get the base that he wanted and then came back over the top and edited that picture. But because he used the artificial intelligence for the base, a lot of people are very upset in that competition. You know, it's a digital art competition and it was not specifically against the rules. And I really don't know that there's a difference between an artist who went out and took 900 pictures with their camera and then edited Photoshop over the top versus someone who put 900 different combinations of words into an algorithm and got a picture out and then did their editing over the top of it. I don't know that those are meaningfully different. They, absolutely. This is not somebody who was working with a paintbrush and, and paint and canvas. So they weren't competing with that form of art. All of this is digital. All of this is computerized creations and how anybody could be upset that this was just slightly different or unfair. But no, it's it's all using computers to create the art. Get over it. Yeah. And I think, you know, even talking to one of the judges, the one of the judges said, I think the artist that made this had a voice in creating it. And I think whenever you think about what art is, you have an artist who wants to say something or wants to capture an emotion or depict some something. And it's very clear that the person who created this was able to imbue a part of themselves into this creation. And so, yeah, I think, you know, if this was this person doing the AI art versus a paintbrush and canvas, I agree. Those are very different skill sets. But in a digital art competition, I don't know. This this feels like a, a very similar step here. Speaking of similar steps to the one you're on track for, Deere, John Deere Corporation, is investing billions of dollars in self-driving tractors. Yes, their hardware and software is where the company sees itself growing. And to the point that by the end of the decade, 10% of their total revenue will be software licensing fees. Now, to put that number in perspective, John Deere did $44 billion in sales in 2021. So that means upwards of $4 billion is just in software licensing from John Deere, the tractor manufacturer. And what they're doing is they're creating these, these tractors that don't need the farmer in the tractor. They're creating the spray devices that know what weed is there. They don't just spray everything. It only sprays the herbicide on the weed. And so uh, there's a lot less toxins being released because you're targeting weeds, not broad spreading. I think this is great. I am in favor of their, their use of additional technology here. Because another thing is that the ability for, maybe you do still have a human in the cockpit of these tractors, but 
the human is there, you know, watching five different computers navigate based upon GPS and trying to line up all of the crops in perfect rows and you have image recognition doing analysis. The one downside is that John Deere has been very protective of their internal system and has not let farmers self-prepare. And that's wherever you run into problems here is that if you're a farmer and you're out there in the field and something goes wrong, you need to be able to fix it yourself. And if John Deere says, nope, we need to come out and it has to be one of our technicians, either with a wrench and hammer or with a keyboard in order to fix it. Well, farmers don't have that time to waste a lot of times. And so can John Deere find some flexible boundary with the farmers who are using it? And what John Deere has been saying is that they are releasing more of the abilities of local independent operators to come in and fix things. They're still holding on to that software, though. We're going to remote into your tractor and fix it. We're going to remote into your system and, and take care of the software. They're not giving up the keys to to the software anytime soon. This is way too proprietary for them. And I get that. You see from a business perspective why they're making this choice. But if you're a farmer who needs this, you're, you become reliant on it. You're now hoping that they have someone who can come out and fix it soon. Otherwise, you're down for days or weeks. Is, is that a risk that they're willing to take? I think it probably will be because I think that's where the industry is taking. The farming industry is less and less people want to be farmers and everybody still wants to eat. So if that farmer can have three tractors running around in the field and the farmer sits back in an office in the barn and is controlling what's going on without having to be out there on the tractor, okay, I, I can see that. Well, it's, it's also that a lot of agriculture now is not family farms. Most agriculture is done by mega corporations, And so anyway. they're not going to have, it's not going to be one farm with three tractors. It's going to be a field of 15. And so, you know, maybe at that point in time, they're, they're large enough that they don't care. And so if you're a mega corporation and you have the giant contract with John Deere, at that point in time, it's just two corporations shaking hands. And so it doesn't matter anymore anyway. So the last thing we wanted to get to, and this is a head scratcher, the guy who helped start Verily, which was a unit of Alphabet, i.e. Google, has left the company because in Verily is a, a personalized healthcare focused software. He's upset because he, Google's going to start selling those ads. Yeah, this is one that Verily was created in 2015 and placed under the Alphabet umbrella to do healthcare research and to, to apply the, the Google brand to healthcare. And he's leaving because he, he wants it to be more focused on personalizing healthcare and, and not necessarily, he wants more research focused as opposed to- On making brain. money. And it's, well, you know, if, if that's what you wanted to do, then this wasn't the place to do that. Google was always going to take whatever you did and squeeze it for profit and that's just how they work. I don't get it. This guy, I'm sure he's been paid millions and millions of dollars over the past seven years working under the Google umbrella, under the Alphabet umbrella, and to now all of a sudden say, oh, wait a minute, that's how y'all made all this money? Well, I'm out. Never mind. 
or maybe not that's how you made this money, but that's how you think you're going to recoup your investment because there's also a lot of private equity money coming in. And private equity firms, if you're going to go do business with them, that comes with a price tag. This is just, okay, like, I hope that you go on to to do something altruistic here, man. But what did you think you were signing up for at any point in time? You know, all of this money coming in, like someone wanted it back at some point in time. And this is how you get it back. Like if, if you're going to do research, do research. But I don't know. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.